So make your way over to Ephesians with me as we get into this great new series. Now, I think um, we can all agree that uh, 2020 has been quite a blockbuster year so far, right? I mean, what started out with just great potential and hope? I mean, a new decade, right? The year of clear vision, 2020, right? We were all pretty optimistic and excited for what 2020 held for us, but here we are dealing with things that to say was unexpected would be the understatement of the year, I would say, right? And, and it certainly generated some great memes. If you like memes, here's a couple memes that I thought just summed up 2020 for us real well here. Uh, take a look at that. I love the Yoda one, before 2020 and then after 2020. That's about right, right there for us here. You see, what we are realizing is that things don't always go as planned, right? We can have all of the ideas in mind and the kind of trajectory, what we think is going to be taking place, but things don't always go as planned here. And that's certainly what Paul has experienced now as we get into these letters from prison. You see, here's Paul that has been faithfully serving the Lord. And you think, oh man, if, if anybody's going to be exempt from any kind of troubles, it's a guy like Paul. I mean, he's just faithful. He's just given his life over to the work of the Lord. And yet here we find Paul being imprisoned. And here he is now writing these four books that we're going to be going through, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. Here he is writing these letters while imprisoned, sitting in a prison cell. You see, what we have to understand is that God's ways are not our ways. And he's often working beyond our plans and is accomplishing things that we never imagined, things that are greater than our intended outcome. Some might also be tempted to think, well, listen, I thought, you know, if I give my life to Jesus, if I live for Jesus, that I'd be immune or exempt from any kinds of troubles and trials. I think sometimes we, we you know, fall prey to that sort of logic and thinking. I think that's something we'd all hope, right? I mean, I've given my life to you, Lord, so please keep me free from any problems. That'd be nice, you know? But nowhere in the Bible do we see that being taught, spoken. In fact, Jesus himself said, listen, if you're gonna follow me, you can expect trials, persecutions even. even. There's gonna be difficulty that you're gonna face simply because you're living for me. Jesus says that the world has hated me. And so you can, you can surmise that the world is also going to hate those that are followers of Jesus. We're going to face difficulty at times. We're not immune or exempt from these things. But you see, I love that Paul is a person that, in spite of all that, he's a man that's able to have joy. He's able to have hope and excitement. So much so that here he is sitting in prison and he's going to write a whole book. When we get to the book of Philippians, we're going to see that the whole theme of Philippians is out of joy. To where Paul's sitting here in prison in, in less than ideal circumstances and yet he's able to sit there and emphasize, oh, the joy of the believer. How could Paul do that? Well, you see, Paul could look back at what Jesus has done for him and rejoice. He could look ahead for what God has in store for him 
and remain hopeful, and that greatly then changed his perspective for the present. It motivated him to continue on living for the Lord. And that's what I pray is gonna be stirring our hearts as we go through these, these letters from prison, these prison epistles, that we begin to see, Lord, even though my present situation may be less than ideal, even though 2020 has been a year like no other, Lord, I have reason to rejoice and, and be hopeful because of who you are and all that you've done for me. And that's what Paul is speaking about here as we go through these letters. Now, as Paul often did in his writings, what he would do is he would start out dealing with kind of the doctrinal things. He would really try to emphasize more of a theological view about who God is and what he's done, deal with the doctrine, and then he would move on to the, the duty part, the, the part that we play now, how we live these lives now for the Lord. But it was always based off of what's been done for you before looking at what we now do for the Lord. In other words, he would go from desire to, to deal with, let's sit and learn about Jesus before we talk about how now we live for Jesus. Let's learn of Jesus before we talk about how to live for Jesus. And that's what we are gonna be seeing as we go through the book of Ephesians. You see, a lot of people will find it hard to really live for Jesus if they've not taken time to truly sit and just learn of Jesus, to understand his heart for you, to understand his great love and grace for you, to understand that all that he's done for you already and what's in store for you and the blessings that he has for you in the present. We need to sit and just kind of be still and know that he's God and know all that he has already done for you before we begin to you know, look at what we think we're gonna accomplish for the Lord. And so that's what we get to see in these letters here. Paul will always start with that, that doctrinal side, learning of Jesus, before we look at our, our duty, the application now that that has for us and how we now live for Jesus. So what we're gonna see in the book of Ephesians to break it down for us here, we're gonna see a couple of things. We're gonna see the walk, or the, sorry, the wealth of the believer, chapters one and three. Again, what we have in Christ, our riches in Christ, and, and again, where we sit. Let's sit and learn. Let's, let's see our position in Christ here right now, the wealth of the believer. And then chapters four to six, we look at the walk of the believer. What this means for us, our responsibilities for Christ and, and now how we walk. So this is kind of the breakdown of Ephesians that we're gonna be looking at. It says there in verse one, if you've got your Bibles open, Ephesians one, right there in verse one, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. So what I like to do when we get into a new book is kind of deal with a little bit of the background and sort of the, the history, give some context to the letter. I like to look at the, the who, the when, the what, the why, the where, all those kinds of things. So first of all, who? Who wrote the book of Ephesians? Well, I've already mentioned it's Paul, and Paul lays it out there right in the first verse, as was very common in that day when you were writing a letter. As we write letters or emails today, I mean, we always sign off at the end, Right? Well, in that day, you would always put your name first because as you're unrolling the scroll, you don't have to unroll the whole thing and get to the end to see who's writing. And you wanna see right away who this is coming from, kind of hear their, their heart in that. So Paul identifies himself right away as to the author of this letter. Now, Paul, if you're not um, familiar with kind of the, the history here, Paul started off as Saul, who was an enemy 
to the church and to Christians. Saul was an active persecutor against the church and against Christians. In fact, he was leading the charge uh, against the church when God came and met him and knocked him off of his high horse, quite literally. It was on the road to Damascus where Saul was en route to kind of come and imprison Christians and, and just you know make things hard for them where Jesus came and met him on that road to Damascus and, and revealed himself to him. And so Saul became called by the Lord to go and be that witness of the Lord, to go, as it says in, in Acts chapter nine, to go and be a, a witness before even kings and then Gentiles and to his own countrymen of, of Israel. So he's called, and that's what an apostle is. Paul identifies himself as an apostle. An apostle is one who is simply called or, or commissioned. He's sent out to be one that is representing Jesus and being a witness of Jesus, proclaiming the truth of who he is. And that's what, what Paul, his name was changed from Saul to Paul and, and he becomes this new person in Christ now and he's called to be that messenger of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul would oftentimes be challenged to the legitimacy of his apostleship, right? There were those that thought, man, Paul, you weren't with us, you know, when we were walking with Jesus. And it was, it was kind of that requirement that an apostle was one that had seen Jesus. Well, Jesus took care of that on the road to Damascus when Jesus revealed himself to Paul. But Paul, by those that were sometimes in the church or even kind of, you know, enemies of the church, they, they would question the legitimacy of Paul's apostleship. But notice what Paul says here. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. See, this is not something that Paul just kind of chose for himself, right? This is not some occupational search that Paul went through and thought, you know what? Apostle sounds like a pretty good gig. Maybe I'm gonna give that a try. Paul realized, man, I'm doing this simply because I am called a Lord. Jesus has set me apart to fulfill this purpose, to be an apostle. I think it's important that we recognize the things that we're doing as being set apart for the purpose of doing that for the Lord. Now, I think there are times where God will very specifically call you to specific roles or functions. But I think more than not, God doesn't get all wrapped up with specific you know, roles or functions or places you're to be. He's more so concerned about who you are. And, and living for him in whatever place you are, whatever job you have, whatever function you might have. Now, I think the Lord gifts us in certain ways. And I think it's important that we, we use those gifts to the Lord, that we're not sitting here thinking, well, you know what? Um, playing the piano seems like a really good thing to do. Maybe I'm gonna do that. And you've had like no piano experience at all, right? And you're like, I'm gonna get up and lead worship. Now, that's maybe not your gifting, right? Maybe you should step away from that right? But, but I think in, in, in life, we get really stressed out over what's the will of God for my life? What am, what am I to be doing? Should I live here? Should I live there? Should I do that job? Should I do that job? I think the Lord is like, stop stressing and just live for me. Be, be a, a light for me in whatever place you are, whatever job you're doing. And, and so, in other words, if you're a plumber, an electrician, uh, a teacher, an accountant, whatever you are, serve the Lord in that role. Say, Lord, this is where you've called me and this is where I'm gonna live out my life for you. That's more so following in the will of the Lord 
It's to say, I'm gonna honor you. I'm gonna represent you in this. That's the highest calling you can have. And so Paul recognizes, man, I'm, I'm doing this not because you know, this is what I thought would be a good fit. I'm just doing this because the Lord's called me in this and I'm gonna represent the Lord in that. So when was this written now? Well, approximately this was written back in 60 to 62 AD again. Paul is writing this from prison. And, and so it's important now we gotta, we gotta look at what imprisonment this is dealing with. That's right, Paul was in prison more than once. I mean, this is kind of like a, a, a theme in Paul's ministry here, like kind of getting, getting attacked, getting persecuted. I mean, hunted down. He's imprisoned a couple times. His first imprisonment took place between 57 and 59 AD, and that was there at Caesarea Maritima, up the, the coast from Jerusalem along the, the Mediterranean Sea. And he was imprisoned there for a couple of years. And then after that imprisonment, he was put on a ship and, and went to Rome where he would face trial there. And so when he got to Rome, he was again under uh, you know, imprisonment there in Rome. And that was between 60 to 62 AD. And it's believed that it was here from Rome that Paul is writing these prison letters now. Now again, just think about that, right? You think 2020 has been a rough year. Well, here's Paul writing to encourage his readers and have them see the wonderful blessings that we have in Christ, all while sitting in prison. I mean, that just, that just boggles my mind. I'd be like writing my, my friend saying, guys, do something, get me out of here. I'm in prison. Like, help. Send some authority, like, do something. Start rallying, I don't know, do whatever. I'd be like writing, like, do something, help me out here. And yet here's Paul going, you know what? I just wanna write to bless you and to encourage you and to build you up in this great life we have in Christ. I mean, that's what incredible perspective Paul has. It didn't matter where he was, he realized who he was in the Lord and the blessings that were his wherever he was. And he's looking to share that now with these, right, with these people here. This is just so awesome, so wonderful. You see, Paul didn't see this particular situation as a setback, but rather an opportunity for the Lord to use him in even greater ways. To where Paul says, you know what? Got some downtime right now. Maybe I'll just write some of the Bible. Why not? Let's throw out some letters here and, uh, you know, we'll just canonize that and put that in the scripture. I mean, you know, Paul's just like, the Lord just says, Paul, I'm going to just give you some rest right now. And uh, we're going to get busy just doing some writing here that's going to bless people for centuries to come. That's pretty awesome. This wasn't a setback for Paul. This became an opportunity for, for greater blessing. And I pray that you see each of those situations that you come up against where you might go, oh my goodness, what is going on? How can anything good come of this? Well, look at what Paul's situation is. Look at the good that's come from Paul being imprisoned to where we get to now be blessed through some of the greatest of scriptures. People look at, at Ephesians as kind of like the, the Magna Carta of scripture where it's just like this beautifully written letter here that we get to benefit from today. And that's the way that we can look at all the things that come against us to, to where we can say, Lord, I don't know what you're gonna do in this, but I know that you're greater than this situation and you're able to do greater things through these things that I'm facing right now. So Lord, be glorified. Use my life to, to bless you and to bless others even in the midst of these seeming setbacks. Amen? All right, so that's kind of the when, the where. Well, we know Paul's writing from Rome while in prison, but he's writing to this church in, in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a, a, 
an interesting city. Paul had visited Ephesus at the end of his second missionary trip. Paul took three missionary trips, four if you include the, the trip to Rome, where he's going to be in prison there. And so Paul went through Ephesus at the end of his second missionary trip, but then on his third missionary trip, he stopped in Ephesus where he had a very lengthy ministry. That kind of became the hub for Paul for, for about three years. Longer, he stayed in Ephesus longer than any other city that he had, he had visited. So Ephesus became kind of the hub where the gospel was going out. And that was interesting because Ephesus was a very important city. It was the capital of the Roman province of Asia. It was a prosperous commercial center as it sat at the intersection of many trade routes. It was there in Ephesus that was also uh, deeply steeped in, in pagan worship. It had the temple of Diana there or Artemis, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And so he had all this kind of stuff, just sort of, you know, this melting pot here in Ephesus. And it's in Ephesus that Paul sets up camp where it became kind of the hub of the gospel going out now to all the different regions around. And there was such fruit that was born in Ephesus, so much so that it was the, all the idol makers that came together. And like, they're like, Paul's putting us out of business. Like people are turning to Jesus and nobody's buying our idols any longer. And they're like, we gotta do something about it. So they begin to you know, hold a peaceful protest and bring people together. And uh, riots begin to kind of break out so much so that they're like threatening Paul's life to where people come around Paul like, Paul, maybe you better just move on here for the sake of your own life. And so Paul moved on after that. But again, we see this church established there and just great fruit coming from his time in Ephesus. So he's writing here now, to this context that's going on. Now, why was he writing this letter? Well, interesting, there's no real doctrinal issues to deal with in, Ephesus, in, in the book of Ephesians. Oftentimes, the writers were writing letters not just to encourage the church, but also to kind of warn them or, or to deal with different issues that had arisen, whether it be through false teachers or false teaching or conflict within the church, and they're writing to address these things. There's none of that here in Ephesians. It's all been, been going really well. So Paul's writing really to emphasize this new life in Christ and to build up the church here to encourage them that this new life now in Christ is, is gonna and should have an effect now in how we deal with other relationships. It should be, we should be living our life now in, in a new way. And so Paul's gonna touch on some very applicable things. He's gonna deal with a lot of different relationships that we're gonna have, um, gonna spend a chapter dealing with Husbands and wives, we'll probably spend about a month in Ephesians 5.22. Um, great verse for those of you that know it. No, I'm just teasing. Um, and uh, so we see that he's, he's dealing with, you know, what this new life in Christ really, you know, means for us and, and how that's lived out again. Is it going to build them up? But now, like what can oftentimes happen when, you know, people come to the Lord and there's excitement that excitement can sometimes begin to wane a little bit. People can maybe begin to, to drift. Well, it's interesting because a few decades later, Jesus addressed this church at Ephesus in the book of Revelation. It tells us in Revelation chapter two, verses two to four, Jesus says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you've tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. 
and you have persevered and had patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Jesus speaking to his church at Ephesus where things were going well. And, and again, he addresses like, Miss, I, I know your works. You, you've not you know, tolerated those that are evil. You've not let false teaching in. But here's, a, here's one thing I, I can say against you is that you've left your first love. You've allowed that excitement for the Lord to begin to, to wane and drift a little bit. It seems Paul was writing to encourage them to keep this love strong. This is in harmony with the contents of Ephesians. For the verb form of love, agapeo, is used nine times in Ephesians, whereas Paul used it only 23 times in all of his other letters. Paul used the noun, agape, love, 10 times in Ephesians compared with 65 times in his other epistles. Therefore, of the 107 times that Paul used the verb or the noun for love, 19 are in Ephesians. Thus, more than one-sixth of his references to love appear in this small epistle to the Ephesians. This letter begins with love, and it ends with love. And that's a great reminder for us here, that as we go through this letter, may we just be stirred again in our love for the Lord, as we begin to see, first of all, the great love that Jesus has for us. There's going to be a great theme here that we'll see here. And I pray that it stirs us to say, Lord, I, I want to I grow in, in just vibrancy in my walk with you, in my relationship with you, to, to know your love and to see my love just increase all the more for you and for others. So Paul's writing here to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, many, many scholars believe that, that this letter was actually more of a circular letter, or in other words, it was meant to go to many churches around. Again, Revelation addresses seven churches of Asia. There were many churches around, and, and many believe this letter was meant to go out to multiple churches and to be kind of for the church at large. In fact, some of the older manuscripts don't have those words in Ephesus in those manuscripts, and so many believe that that was not Paul's initial intent or you know maybe he was giving this to Ephesus initially but it was meant to be for the larger church or for the church at large in other words I think this is something that we should be reading and applying directly to our lives to where we can say to the saints who are in Langley or Surrey or Maple Ridge or Abbotsford or wherever you live this is something that's being written for you now some of you are going well but it says to the saints, hold on now. That surely can't, can't reference me, right? And we get tripped up over these things here. But who is Paul referring to when he speaks about the saints? Well, you see, the term saint simply means set apart ones. And oftentimes, we look at that idea as something that we're straining to achieve to, that being a saint is something that I need to kind of, you know, build up to. And, and sometimes we, we get caught up with that thinking among some, you know, denominations that, that a saint is something that you only achieve or saint is only you achieve to after death, right? And after, you know, people vote on that and, and because you've done certain works or more specifically, you've done some kind of miraculous work, only then can you enter into sainthood. But this is not the way that Paul refers to it as Paul refers to saints as simply those who are set apart for Jesus. In fact, Paul uses the same word in the Greek in verse four when he uses that term holy. That word holy is the same Greek word hagios as saints. Saints and holy are the same word. And so what he's saying here, and, and this is the thing is sometimes we think, I'm just too, I'm just too ordinary. 
I was an ordinary person. I can't, I'm not a saint. Saint is like some of those other people, you know? I'm not like them. I'm not like Pastor Brent. I, I can't be a saint, right? That's, nobody's thinking that way, I know. But, but you see, think about the, the holy vessels, the holy furnishings that were used, let's say, in the tabernacle, Right? Some of those holy vessels were very ordinary things. They were not holy because people looked at those and go, oh my goodness, look at how incredible these things are. Look at how beautiful they are. They weren't holy because they were so naturally just, you know, innate like that. They were holy because they were used and set apart for the use of God. Some of them are very ordinary instruments, but they were holy because they were set apart. In other words, God's not looking at you and calling you to be holy because, you know, or, or something you need to grow into or build up to, you're holy simply because you're set apart for the Lord. And that's what a saint is. Simply one that's set apart for the Lord's use. You may feel very ordinary, but if you are in Christ, you're set apart from then you're a saint, my friend. And this letter is being written for you. I love what J. Vernon McGee says. He says, there are only two kinds of people today, the saints and the ain'ts. If you are a saint, then you are not an ain't. If you ain't an ain't, then you are a saint. And so that's for all of us here today. Well, look at verse two. It says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul now brings up this, this very common greeting that he used oftentimes in his letters here. And this is packed with some great theological truth for us. Grace and peace. Now, grace was, uh, again, a very common kind of greeting in the day. It was the Greek greeting, charis, and then peace was the, the common Hebrew greeting of the day, shalom, right? And so this is something that he's, again, greeting all people, bringing all people together here. But this was more than just kind of a common greeting when Paul uses these terms, grace and peace. These these two words are oftentimes called the Siamese twins of scripture. They always go together and they always go together in this order. And that's important because you see, you cannot know the peace of God until you first know the grace of God. Amen. And it's always gonna flow that way. Grace, you see, is that unmerited favor of God. It's God bestowing blessing upon you undeservedly. And he did that by sending his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin and for mine. And by doing so, you can be forgiven and reconciled to God and brought into a relationship with God. Listen, you didn't deserve that. I didn't deserve that. I did nothing to earn that. It's simply by grace. It's all by the grace of God. And then those that receive that grace know this peace of God. Peace is the result of grace. And it's both having peace with God and the peace of God. As Romans 5, 1 says, therefore having been justified by faith, that's that grace part, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Interestingly, as Paul writes that it's from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, that word and is declaring that Jesus is equal with God. It's equivalent to saying that Jesus is God something that is oftentimes disputed by other groups or, or cults. But all through the scriptures, 
you, you never see contradiction there, that Jesus is always seen as and declared as God. Now, this grace and peace, again, is only found in God through a relationship with Jesus. It's from God. And Jesus, it's, it's linked together. It, it, it happens to coming to Jesus in faith. You're saved by grace through faith. And, and that brings you into a right standing with God now. And when that happens, suddenly we begin to know and experience this peace. You see, this is something that no other religion can provide. Understand that. No other religion can provide that because it's not by grace, but it's by your works. Everything outside of Christianity. Christianity is the one thing that sets itself apart because it's not by what you do, but it's by what's been done for you. Every other religion says, here's what you need to do. And you see, when people are living by their works, there's never an assurance if they've done enough. And I talk to a lot of people that say, well, you know, I'll ask them, what's gonna happen to you when you die? Well, I hope it's gonna be this. And everybody kind of has their concept of, you know, the good place, right? Whatever that might look like in their religious teaching. Well, I, I hope this is gonna happen. I say, well, how do you know? Well, we, we don't. All we do is we just try. So I'm like, you never have any assurance? Well, no. We just hope that it's gonna work out that way. Do you understand the stress that's involved with, with living your life when you never know what's gonna be the final result? People lying awake at night going, well, I hope I've, uh, if, I, if my life ends tonight, I hope that I've lived my life in a, in a good enough way or done enough to earn my way to the good place but there's never any assurance of that. And ultimately, there never, there never will be apart from what God has provided for you. This is what sets Christianity apart because I can now understand and know that it's not by what I do, it's by what's been done for me. It's Jesus having paid it all in full when he died on a cross and he said, it is finished. Tetelestai, meaning paid in full, is done. It's complete. The work is finished. There's nothing more required of you other than applying this now to your life, receiving it by grace, through faith. And so now, and, and, the, and the, the amazing thing is that I, I can talk to Christians today who still seem like they haven't grasped grace. So I'll say, do you know where you're going when you die? And sometimes Christians will respond, well, I hope I'm going to heaven. I'm like, hold on, no, 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 hold on a second. You're missing it. You see, there should never be uncertainty. There should never be wonder. There should never be a, I hope I'm going to heaven. As Christians who are in Christ, you should be able to confidently say, when I die, I'm going to heaven because it's not about me or my works. It's because I'm in Christ and he's done the work for me. And that's the great peace I have. So now when we have experienced grace and we comprehend grace, we have peace. I can lie in my bed at night with such peace knowing that if my life were snuffed out from me that night, I know I'm going to heaven and I'm gonna be with my savior, Jesus Christ, because God's not gonna look at me and go, well, what have you done for me? I'm gonna stand before God and I'm gonna be standing in Christ, clothed in his righteousness, the word says, to where I know I'm going in not because of me, but because of Jesus. 
because of my faith in him, plain and simple. That's the peace part that so many people are missing. And Paul brings that up often in his letters to say, my friends, I want you to know grace and peace, but you're not gonna have peace until you comprehend grace. And when you get grace, man, you live out great peace in the Lord. Well, my plan, as you can see on the side here, was to get to six verses, and that didn't happen in the first service, so we're gonna end it right there today. And uh, I, I just pray you're encouraged to know just in, this, in these first two verses, just in the intro. We're gonna get into some exciting stuff next week. We'll pick it up in verse three, and it get, just gets better and better, all right? But I hope you know today just who you are in Christ, that you're a saint set apart. God has much in store for you, great plans for you, no matter what your circumstances are. Don't let those things be a setback, but an opportunity just for God to do a greater work in you and through you. And keep resting in the peace of God, knowing that it's all done, completed through Jesus Christ, who died for you, who rose again, who's given you life now and eternally. For those that have put their faith in him. If you haven't done that today, I wanna to encourage you. God loves you. This whole letter, we're gonna see just God's great love for you. And, and apart from God, we're lost, we're empty, we're, we're dying. But God came to give us life and life eternal. And it's found through faith in Jesus. It's found through recognizing your need for a savior, that you're a sinner and your sins need to be forgiven. But Jesus had taken care of that. But what you need to do now is apply that to your life and, and confess that you're a sinner and repent, which means simply to turn around, to say, I've been going my way. Man, I need to go God's way now. Repent, put your trust in Jesus. And when you do so, you become a child of God. Your sins are forgiven and you're brought into the family God as a new creation. Some of you might be thinking, nah, that can't happen for me. I've, I've, I've done too much. I've been too far gone. Look at Paul. Paul was killing Christians. God says, Paul, I'm gonna set you on a different trajectory now. I'm gonna cause you to be the one proclaiming life in Jesus. Nobody's ever too far gone. That's the beauty of grace. It's never about what you've done or do. It's about what's been done for you. Amen. Jesus is paid in full. If you have not yet done that, put your faith in Jesus. Experience the newness of life that he has for you. It's nothing better. Okay, let's pray. Worship team, you guys can come up. Lord, we just come before you here today thanking you, Lord, for just your truth, your word, that we can see just in a couple of verses here, just some very applicable and meaningful things for us. And Lord, we do thank you for your grace where you've done it all despite us. It's that unmerited favor you've shown us. We can never earn salvation. So help us to just receive it, to rejoice and to be thankful. And Lord, whatever situations we might be facing in our lives today,
May we be reminded that, Lord, you are still at work and you want to accomplish great things in spite of all that. Just like Paul, who's blessing us now with great scripture while he was in prison. So, Lord, may we be faithful to continue to serve you in all situations and to live these lives for you, recognizing that we're, we're called to you, we're set apart. And we're set apart to just be a light and to proclaim you in this world. So may we do so. Strengthen us today. Renew us and, and go with us now. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and let's just worship the Lord here.